Our reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 4. Jesus has just been baptized and after his baptism we read what happens next. And Wendy's going to come to read us from God's word. The temptation of Jesus. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. Amen. As we go through Matthew's Gospel, we'll come later to Uh, chapter 12, but I want to read these words also from Matthew 12 this morning as they're relevant to what is happening here as Jesus meets the devil in the desert. Uh, Jesus had just, uh, is about to heal a demon-possessed man, and so we read Matthew chapter 12. Then they brought Jesus, a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How how then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can rob his house. Amen. This is God's word to all our hearts today. We all know Since Sunday school days, this story of Jesus going into the desert and this threefold temptation of the devil, of 
Satan, which means in Hebrew, the accuser. And Jesus' victory in the desert. The context here is so important. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil and fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Three things to note that set the the stage for these temptations of Jesus. First of all, it's into the desert. Jesus is led by the Spirit into the desert. I don't know whether you can make this out, but this is the River Jordan uh, flowing down into the Dead Sea, and to the left is Jerusalem. And this map tries to show you how the mountain range goes up and then drops, but maybe this makes it a wee bit more easier to see. That what you drop on the other side is the lowest place on earth. Jerusalem, built on that pinnacle of the the Judean uh, range, is about 2,400 to 2,600 feet above sea level, depending on where you are in Jerusalem. The Dead Sea, on the other side of that range, is the lowest place in the world, a limestone, rocky desert that is about 1,355 feet below sea level. Nothing, as you know, flows out of the Dead Sea because there's nothing lower than it to go. It is the lowest place on earth. And because of the mountain range, it, uh, the wilderness on the, on the right that goes down into the Dead Sea is to the River Jordan is due to an effect called the rain shadow because as clouds move from west to east and as they hit that mountain range, they drop their rain. But then on the other side, there's nothing left to drop. And so it has so little rainfall that that whole other side is a desert area. And so if you were to visit today, this is what it looks like. That other side of Jerusalem, all the way down around the Dead Sea, around the River Jordan, is a desert. Desert-like area. Jesus is led by the Spirit into this area. Last week, he is anointed as king. He was born king. Uh, the shepherds came, worshipped him as king. The, the wise men from the east came and presented him. A new king has been born. He has been born king, but he's not ruling as king. His kingship ruling has not started. But now that he, 30 years later, he has been baptised uh, by, jo- by John the Baptist in the Jordan. The Holy Spirit comes upon him. And anoints him as the spirit-empowered Christ Messiah to begin his kingly work. And so the first thing that he does as king, now ruling, with God's authority as his spirit upon him is what? You would expect him to go to Jerusalem and immediately with the power that he has by the spirit to take David's throne and to bring peace to Jerusalem and to rule the world from Jerusalem. Jerusalem means the city of peace. Jerusalem, peace, shalom. Uh, So it's the city of peace. And in God's timing and God's plan, the world will be ruled from Jerusalem, the city of peace. That's what you would expect now that he is the spirit-empowered king. 
Go and claim your throne. Start your work of peace, ruling. Get rid of our enemies. Bring God's kingdom here. But what do we find first? Where does the Spirit lead the Spirit-empowered king? As he starts to do his kingdom work. Into this desert wasteland. Into this place of nothing. This hostile place that the ancients, ancients believed is where the demons uh, lived. Why did he go here first? Why is this place, this wasteland, his first place to begin his kingly work? Well, part of the clue is with the 40 days and the 40 nights. Where else do you read about 40 The children of Israel were 40 years in the desert. Remember after they left Egypt, they're on their way to the promised land. But because they disobeyed and they doubted, God judged that generation and said, for 40 years you will live in this desert. And Moses was their leader. 40 years in the desert, Jesus goes into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. Where Israel failed in the desert to trust God and to, for God to provide their, their needs, Jesus, as the leader of a new Israel, a new people of God, will first go into the desert as well for 40 days and 40 nights. But where Israel failed, he will succeed. That is why the Spirit firstly leads Jesus into the desert to be tempted. He goes to where Israel failed in the desert. He also goes to meet the devil. That the first battle as king is with the the rival for God's kingdom who rules this earth. And he goes to defeat him. In a sense, he goes to bind up the strong man so that he can start to rob the strong man's house of his possessions. If he wants the hearts of you and me, he first has to defeat the one who holds power. In God's earth. So that's the context. Which Jesus goes forward. To meet these three temptations. When you face a temptation. There's something in that temptation. That baits you. Anything that any. I'm not, I have no idea about fishing. I don't know anything about fishing. I'm not even going to pretend I do. But I know that you use different bait according to the type of fish that you want to catch. So I'm told a dry fly will be bait for trout. Worms for bass. And there's other bait for other kinds of fish. You can't use the same bait bait for all fish. But all fish have a certain bait that they are attracted to. And the fish see the bait. And they're attracted to it. The food that is there. But all is not as it appears. Because in the bait is a hook. And the hook is there to catch it. And to kill it. And so with a tempting moment that the fish sees the bait. It takes the bait. But finds that there's something in the bait that has caught it. And there's a fight. And then it's the end of the fish. Every temptation 
that we feel. And there's no one here, unless you're not human, who is not tempted in some way. Every temptation we feel is an attraction in our hearts by some bait that we are drawn to because of our desires and needs. And our desires and needs, for for me, I find helpful, are divided into three areas. Our, Our hunger for significance, our hunger for security, and our hunger for identity. We want, to know, we want to feel significant. We want to feel as if our life matters. We want security. We want to know that there is enough to get through tomorrow. And our biggest illustration of security is our bank accounts. We want to know there's money in the bank, that there's money coming in an extra month to pay the bills, to, to, uh, to feed uh, our loved ones, whatever. We want security. We want identity. We want to know we're special. And so those are three hungers in our lives that we are constantly trying to fill our significance, our security, and our identity. And our temptation is before us that the bait is there that we will feed those three areas of needs somehow in our life. But hidden in every attractive bait away from God is a hook that will destroy us. And so as I thought about these three temptations this morning in the light of fishing, I want to say, what's the bait that the devil puts before Jesus? And if he takes the bait, what's the hook in it? And what's Jesus' response to the bait, the temptation of the devil? So what's the first one? Please open your Bibles, if you, if you can, to uh, Matthew Chapter 4, pages 967, because the words aren't going to come up on the screen, but I'm going to, to read them here. The tempter comes and says, first of all, after 40 days and nights, Jesus is hungry. The tempter comes and says to him, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Verse 3, page 967. If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. So what's the bait? What's the bait that the Satan puts before Jesus? It's yes, it appears to be satisfaction for hunger. But why is Jesus hungry? We may think he is deliberately fasting. That's why he's hungry. But if Jesus is reliving Israel's experience in the desert and In the desert, they were fed by manna and water from a rock and quail. Jesus has not been fed. That is why he is hungry. And that is why his life has been a fast. It's not just satisfaction for hunger, but it's the fact that God has not provided food. The physical hunger that causes him to fast is because the absence of God in these 40 days and 40 nights in this inhospitable place. So the bait that the devil puts before Jesus is don't wait for God to provide food for you. Take your own steps to produce your own food. Sort it out for yourself. Turn these stones into bread so that you won't be hungry anymore. So that's the bait. 
Don't wait for God anymore. Do it yourself. But what's the hook in the bait? The hook is this. That the, 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 if Jesus is to turn stones into bread, he's not quelling his hunger, but he's actually choosing to live independently of his Father's will over him. And so Jesus, and the, the devil pl- uh, puts doubt, if you are the Son of God, as, as, as the voice from heaven said at your baptism, this is my Son. And, uh, if you are the Son of God, then you have power. To sort things out yourself. But if Jesus turn, chooses to sort things out himself. Then he is no longer living. Uh, doing the father's will. And that's why Jesus responds. With these words from Deuteronomy. It is written. Man does not live on bread alone. But on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Each of Jesus three responses. Are from Moses words. In Deuteronomy. Now the book of Deuteronomy is three sermons that Moses gave to the children of Israel as they're about to enter into the promised land. Um, From Exodus, Leviticus and Numbers, they record the history of the children of Israel after they exited, that the exodus from Egypt and as they spent those 40 years in the promised land. During those 40 years, Moses disobeyed God and so God says, you will never get to lead my people into the promised land. Somebody else will. So they've come to the promised land. Moses gathers the people. Joshua will lead them into the promised land. But he gives them these final words to remind them of everything that they have learned in the desert. As he sends them out and as he leaves them and as they enter the promised land. So Jesus chooses three parts of scripture that are about Israel's life in the desert. And that's another reason why what Jesus is doing here is he is reliving Israel's experience in the desert. And so the first one is Moses' words that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus' response is that life is defined by doing God's will and depending on his leading. That's the priority over bread. It's more important to do God's will and depend on his leading than to satisfy your hunger. Jesus will later say, my food, my food is to do the will of the Father who sent me. And if the Father has not provided food yet, this is what Jesus is saying here, I will still trust him. So that's why he says, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes, every promise, every command that comes from the mouth of God. It's more important to do God's will and to trust him. That is the lesson Israel should have learned in the wilderness, in their desert experience, that they did not trust God to provide their needs. They were always crying out, why have you led us here? Where are we going to get food for tomorrow? But he always provided, but they didn't trust him. They were always complaining. So Jesus chooses to do the Father's will and to wait on him. The second temptation um, comes like this. Then the devil, verse 5, took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. And then the devil quotes scripture. 
Psalm 91. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift up in their hands so that you up their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. The temple is situated on the highest point of Jerusalem. The highest mountain in Jerusalem is a peak called Mount Zion. The temple is built on Mount Zion and the pinnacle of the temple would have been the highest point in Jerusalem. And because the Kidron Valley is the other side, Josephus says that just looking over the edge from the temple down into the Kidron Valley would make people feel dizzy. And so if Jesus, in this vision that, 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 that he is given by, by this experience of the devil, if he was to jump from the, the highest point of the temple down there and survive, he would only survive because of divine intervention. And so the devil, because Jesus has quoted scripture, quotes scripture back to him. And he quotes it accurately. Uh, he, the promise of Psalm 91 is that the God says that if you say the Lord is my refuge, God promises that he will protect you because you've acknowledged his name. And then the psalmist goes on, how do you know how he, what he will do? How will he protect you? He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. That's the promise of Psalm 91 for those who acknowledge God's name. So what's the bait here? The devil is saying to Jesus, you're hungry, you've been alone for 40 days and 40 nights. Is he coming back? Is God still with you? Let's get some proof that he is with you in this desert where you're really hungry because he's not going to let his own people suffer. And then you will know that God's presence is here and you'll see the evidence for yourself that he's not left you if you jump. Because when the angels catch you, then you will know that he hasn't left you. So that's the bait. Let's prove, let's know, let's get some assurance that God cares for you, that God loves you, that God is still with you. But what's the hook in this bait that the Satan, the devil, puts before Jesus? If Jesus was to jump, it would be a sign of unbelief. It would be a lack of faith if he had to jump. It would be a lack of faith that God is still with him. People don't test somebody in whom they have the complete trust. People test somebody in whom they have doubts about. The husband who puts up the secret camera uh, to, to spy on his wife has doubts about their marriage. He's not looking for proof that, that the, the wife is faithful. He has doubts. And so when you look for a test uh, to test somebody, it's because you don't have complete trust. The test is to help people who have doubts about a relationship. And so if Jesus had agreed to the devil's test and jumped, it would be because he doubted that he was still God's son, that his father was trustworthy. That's the hook in the bait that the Satan puts before Jesus. So how does Jesus respond again? 
he goes to Moses' words in Deuteronomy, in this sermon that he gave to the people. When Moses said to the people, do not put your Lord God to the test. Now, when Moses said those words to the children of Israel as they're about to go in the promised land, he was recounting an incident that happened in Exodus 17. Years ago, when they were in the desert, uh, they had the manna, the manna to feed them, but the people were thirsty. So they complained about the manna, God had given manna. Now they're complaining about being thirsty, and they said, give us a, a drink. And God, uh, Moses said, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? And in t- the word in test in Hebrew is the word masa. And because Moses gives them water from a rock, and therefore they named the place test. They named it Masa because that's where they Masad tested God. They weren't, and they're testing God. Is the Lord really among us or not? Is what they're saying. So when Jesus quotes these words here, he is saying, Do not put the Lord your God to the Masa, to the test, uh, just as the children of Israel did back there. And that's what the tempter is doing here. Are you the Son of God? Are you really? Uh, Is he with you? Doesn't God say that he'll command his angels to protect you? It's one thing to say you trust God's word. Practice what you preach, Jesus. God has already tested you 40 days without food. Now test God. It's your time. Throw yourself down. Let's see if God will do as he promised to do. Is the Lord among you, us or not? And Jesus responds by By saying that you do not test God is declaring that even in the wilderness experience, even in the desert of our lives, we must hold on to the promises of God. And that is what brings life. Especially in the wilderness, we must say, the Lord is my refuge. The third temptation is this. Verse 8, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. People believe that you could get closer to God by being up on a mountain. Because if God is up there, then you could, the closest you could get to him was the highest mountain you could get. So Jesus is taken to the highest mountain where he's closest to God, but before him he sees all the kingdoms of this world. And Satan proposes an alliance with Jesus. So what's the bait? The bait is this. Cut short your mission of suffering and pain. Just get get the kingship now. Get to Jerusalem now. I can give you the kingdoms of this earth that I have control of, I'll give them to you if you will bow down and worship me. And that means you don't need to go all through the suffering route and the preaching route and uh, winning, winning people over. Just start reigning now. Take a shortcut. That's the bait. But what's the hook in the bait? Jesus knows that there is no shortcut to messianic glory or to spiritual survival in a hostile world. And that's why he again quotes Moses' word in Deuteronomy. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. If you worship God, he's the only one you can serve. 
Later, Jesus will say, you cannot serve two masters. You'll either hate, uh, uh, hate one and serve the other, or vice versa. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't serve darkness and light. You can only serve one. And you must worship. the one that you serve is the one that you worship with all your heart. Jesus has come not for the kingdoms of this earth, but for the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. God's reign coming back to earth. Not just for earth itself to be a place, but heaven and earth as one. Satan is offering him the kingdoms and the hearts of people without dealing with sin. Without the removal of it by the cross. And that's what Jesus has come to do, to reconcile us to the Father. Jesus will say, what good if it is if someone gains the whole world? And all authority in the world, and all the kingdoms of the world, but lose their own soul because they haven't got a relationship with the Father. That's why Jesus has come. There is no shortcut. Therefore, that's why Jesus says these words, worship the Lord God and serve him only. So here are three, Jesus' three answers to the temptations, to the bait with the hook in it, that the devil puts before them. They speak into our hearts because our hearts are always hungering after three areas, significance, security and identity. And if we have not found our security and identity and significance in our relationship with God, of, of Jesus being our heavenly father, of the security that he brings to our lives, then we will continually search for those hunger and for those desires and for those needs to be satisfied in other things of this earthly life. But nothing in this life will satisfy us except the worship of God and a relationship with him. And so, here are Jesus' three responses that are our lesson, our responses, our motivation as we face temptations and debate and that the hooks out there that are before us and the needs that we seek to have answered in our hearts. Man does not live in bread alone, but in every word that comes from the mouth of God. We must live to do God's will. But that's hard when you're hungry, when you're physically hungry, when you're, when you're in a desert and your heart's needs has other needs that your, your body is crying out for. And Jesus is teaching us that no matter how desperate you are for other things in your life, whether in work, or relationships, whatever. The most important thing is to do God's will, to be faithful to him. And sometimes we justify sin in our lives. We justify decisions that we have taken because God wants me to be happy. Uh, God wants me to, uh, not be, to miss out on things. Why should other people ha- have those kind of things and I miss out? But we're satisfying other needs without remaining faithful to the most important thing is to live on every promise and command that God gives us. Live to do God's will. No matter what that means in the rest of your life. Your rest of your life may be barren. You may be still living in the desert. You may still be hungry. But you know that because you do God's will, you will hear one day at the end of your life, welcome, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master's happiness. When you read the book of Revelation, those who are received into the new heaven and the earth are those who have persevered in their faith 
under tremendous trial. They have stood faithful to the Lamb even under persecution. They have lived to do God's will. They have not lived on bread alone, but ultimately their priority has been on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Live to do God's will. Claim his promises, but stay faithful to his commands. He will bless that kind of life. Secondly, Jesus also said to us, we we should not put the Lord your God to the test. We must live trusting God's presence today. When C.S. Lewis was was writing his screw tape letters for the Guardian magazine under World War II, um, screw tape was uh, letters from a, a senior devil to a junior devil. And the senior devil was telling him, this is, what, this is the way you do. This is the way you, you, you defeat our enemy, God and his people. And in the screw tape letters, C.S. Lewis builds his biggest argument about how to win people is to play on the absence of God in their life. To play on the thought that God may have left them. That God's not interested in them. That maybe they have... They have done things that God cannot forgive them for. Or that God's disappointed in them. But the greatest problem that Screwtape has as a senior devil to his junior devil is that is to one who that even though the world speaks of the absence of God all around him, still obeys him. To him, that's the hardest person to defeat. This is what Jesus is saying here. No matter in the desert experience, no matter what it's like, no matter how wilderness Uh, experiences all around us we must not put the Lord our God to the test to to, to see if he's still with us we must believe that he is our refuge and our strength the end of Matthew's gospel when we get there in the end Jesus leaves us with these words I will never leave you or forsake you the end of Hebrews the Lord is my helper what can man do to me we must trust that God is with us That he is your refuge and your strength, no matter how difficult the wilderness is around you. Finally, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. We must live only to serve him. What you worship, you serve. And what you serve demands your complete allegiance. And so the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And we must every week, I think, ask us, are we living this commandment? Or are we loving other things? And is our security and our significance and identity uh, fed by other things? By our bank balances, by our work, uh, by our holidays, uh, by our house, our clothes. All these other things that we think makes us look good in the eyes of others. They're nothing compared to God. He alone is the one we serve. He is the one that alone gives us significance and identity. The devil has no authority over Jesus. Jesus defeats the devil by these three simple commands about what it means to to follow God and to live for him. The devil leaves him and the angels now attend him. What Jesus refused to demand in the desert 
and command from the height of the temple to prove God's presence. God provides. Angels come to minister to him, to show him that, that, that God is with him and to take care of him, maybe providing food for his hunger. Jesus has victory over the temptations of Satan in the desert. He has bound the strong man of this world. And that strong man no, ha, no longer has power and authority. Because now God's kingdom has, is invading the, in the ministry of Jesus at uh, this world into our hearts and minds. And so when we come next week, Jesus begins his ministry of dealing with you and me. Repent for the kingdom of God is near. Believe the good news. Because I have defeated and shown in my own relationship with the devil that, that he has no power over me. And I have been faithful in the desert to what Israel should have been in the desert on their way to the promised land. Some of you here are in the desert now through circumstances and you have nothing else to turn to but God. Because in the desert, you have no other resources. You are desperate. And in that desert, God is the only one you can turn to. Learn from Jesus here to trust him to take care of your needs. Some of you are battling with temptations that sap your joy and your peace and, and give you great guilt in your life. Jesus has bound the strong man of this world. He has no authority over you in Jesus. So claim your significance in Jesus. Claim your identity in Jesus. Claim your security in Jesus alone. Renounce those other things that you believe give you significance and security and identity and, and claim the, the words of Jesus, I am the apple of your eye. I will never leave you. Uh, you are, I am your refuge and strength. Claim your righteousness in Jesus, the robes that he brings, because he alone is the one who is pure and without sin. Renounce the pull of darkness in your heart and embrace the one who sets people free. It is for freedom that Christ has come to set us free. Don't be yoked again by other forms of slavery that will pull you down. The king has come. The devil is on the run. And in him we are secure, we are protected. He is our refuge and our strength today. There are battles going on in every heart. Jesus has won the battle. And so we go out in the power of the spirit that he gives to his followers. And we pray that God would, we bring before him the situations, but we claim his authority over them over our hearts and in the situations that we face. Let us pray. Father, the desert is a terrible experience in any life. A wilderness of nothing that saps every part of our being. Help us to be faithful in the desert. Help us to see that you are the answer in the desert. Help us to trust you in the desert. And in the temptations, Lord, that pull on our heart, that are attractions to our heart, help us to see the hook that will destroy us within them. Help us to renounce them, to turn away from them. Help us to worship you. King of kings, majesty, Lord of heaven, 
living in me. Lord, may we sing these words and claim them today. In Jesus' name, amen.